We're so glad that you're with us today. We have been in a series called Hope for Everyone. And we're continuing that series today. It's been a crazy last few weeks, hasn't it, for everybody? What I noticed more than anything else is all the decisions that had to be made in light of information that kept changing. Sometimes one week to the next, sometimes one day to the next, sometimes even moments during the day, new information will be coming out and hard decisions had to be made. Schools were having to decide, do we go all online with our classes? Do we send students home from the colleges uh, where they were living in dorms? We had businesses that had to decide, do we send people home to work remotely or do we keep trying to do business as usual? And as new information would come out, the decisions kept changing. Churches, we were part of that too. We were having to make decisions. Early on, they just said, no groups of 150 or more. Well, that's when we decided we had to move everything all online. Now, they reduced it to, to just 50 or more. And even less now, they've said no groups of even 10 or more. As the situation changes, decisions just have to be made. And sometimes they're very hard decisions to make, be made. And, and I love that some people have maintained some humor during this. Uh, we still need to have some humor, have some fun, even in these challenging times. People have been sharing memes, and you know I love humor, and I love seeing all these things. If you've got some good ones, share them with me. I'd love to, to see those. One that caught my eye that I really liked was a grocery store. And in this grocery store, there is the section with all the cases of beer in the cooler section there. And I saw this meme somebody posted. It has the beer section. You see all the cases of beer. But right in one gap where there had been a case of beer, there is a large package of toilet paper. And the caption for the meme said, a decision was made. Obviously, for some people, that might have been a hard decision. Not for me, not for a lot of people, but for some people, that was a hard decision. Today, what we're going to be looking at in Scripture is an instance in this last week of the life of Jesus leading up to the cross where hard decisions were made. And people were making decisions based on different criteria, different concerns that they had that led them to make the decisions they made. I want to look at two people in particular today as we look at this message, Hope for Everyone. Today we're focusing on the injustice that Jesus went through leading up to the cross and how he chose to do that for us. We finished up last week with looking at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and there he prayed to the Father, not my will, but your will be done. He was making a very hard decision. He was deciding between himself and us, between himself and you and me. He was deciding whether or not he was willing to go through what the Father had planned for him to go through for us all to be saved. And the amazing thing about his love is this. He chose you and he chose me. Well, that same night, we finished up with the guards coming out with Judas to arrest Jesus. And Judas betrayed him with that kiss, and they took Jesus then. And now we pick up in the next series of events that happen, the injustice of the mockery of a trial that they took Jesus through. And the first person I want to look at in this mockery of a trial is what took place in the courtyard of a guy named Caiaphas. Caiaphas was the Jewish high priest at the time. Let's pick up here in Matthew 26 and verse 57 where we read this. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. 
But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, This fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look now what you have heard. You've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He's worthy of death, they answered. Then they spit in his face and struck him with their fist. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you? What just transpired is one of the most unjust interactions and what was supposed to be a court of law of sorts. And, and Jesus is the victim of all of this injustice. Let's look at several points here that I want us to see. The first is the arrest was improper to start with. It was an improper arrest. Verse 57, the first part, it says, Though who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest. The arrest was pre-planned without any charges formally being made yet. Most people don't get arrested if there's no charge. And Jesus and their laws that they had set up, both Roman law and Jewish law, said that no one could be arrested without probable cause or charges against them. They had pre-planned this, and they had already pre-planned the verdict that they were going to bring about. They arrested him with the intent of having him put to death. It was totally an improper arrest. And under the darkness of the cover of nighttime, they came with swords and clubs. Uh, this soldiers and others together all came out like a gang to take Jesus into custody. It was a totally improper arrest. And then they took him to this meeting in the courtyard of Caiaphas. And the meeting itself was a totally illegal meeting. Look at verse 57, the second part of that verse. It says, they took them where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. This is an assembly of the Sanhedrin and other Jewish leaders at the time. Jewish law restricted any meetings of the Sanhedrin to having to take place between 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. It's already much later than 6 p.m. They are doing this in the secret of the dark of night. And if you look at all the gospel accounts together, it has a revelation that we need to see. Not all the members of the Sanhedrin are at that meeting. There were some who were more sympathetic to Jesus. They probably had not even been told of the meeting. They wanted the people there that they knew were working with them, that they could manipulate the decision they wanted to make. They predetermined the verdict, and they only wanted the people there that would support the verdict that they were trying to get of executing Jesus. And then there's the injustice of the false testimony that was given. Verse 59 again, the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. 
it's an admission on their part already that they did not already have any truthful evidence that would call for crucifixion. So they were manipulating people, trying to make it so that evidence could be presented, even if it wasn't true, that could be used for the death penalty verdict that they were trying to get. It says they didn't find any, though many witnesses came forward. It says, then finally two came forward and declared, this fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. When you have a predetermined agenda, it's easy to take facts and twist them around and use them for your own purposes. And if you're determined to reject Jesus, not to follow Jesus, you could take things and twist it around and give yourself an excuse or a reason not to follow his teachings. But the truth is, Jesus had said, if you destroy this temple, I will rebuild it in three days. But he was speaking of his own body. The scripture makes it clear, our bodies are a temple of God. These human bodies are the temple in which God dwells. Jesus is saying, you destroy this outward temple, this body. He's talking about his crucifixion, being placed in the tomb, and rising again on the third day. He's talking about the miraculous work that God was going to do in restoring life to that temple of his body. They, of course, are implying that he's referring to the building, the Jewish temple that was in Jerusalem at the time. And Jesus was not saying any such thing. But as soon as Jesus said that, as soon as he said that, they, they decided that was something they could use. That was something that they could use to get to the place to do what they had predetermined they were going to do. So the high priest said to Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? And Jesus remained silent. He knew what he had said. He knew what he meant. And everybody that heard him uh, understood what he was talking about, except those who had predetermined not to accept Jesus as who he claimed to be. And then the last injustice in this meeting was the abuse of power that took place in this courtyard. The high priest said to Jesus, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied. Now that phrase is hard for us to translate well into English, and what he's saying is, it is just like you said. Jesus is saying, I am that person. I am the Messiah, the Son of God. He's making a bold declaration here of his identity. He says, he went on to say, but I say to you from now on, you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. He is even reinforcing his claim and his statement that he is the Messiah because only the Messiah would be the one coming on the clouds of heaven when they see him again. Jesus was not leaving any doubt about who he claimed to be. It says, then the high priest tore his clothes, which is a sign of repentance and anger and anguish. It was a sign in their culture that he can't believe what he just heard. And, and he says, why do we need any more witnesses? You see, that's not justice. Uh, there were witnesses who could say, we saw Jesus do miracles. We heard teaching like we'd never heard before. There were witnesses who, who could come and say things about Jesus that would support his claim that he was the Messiah. But they predetermined not to even allow for the possibility that any of those witnesses would be given a chance to appear. That's exactly why they met 
in the middle of the night so that none of those people would even be there. So he says, look, you've heard the blasphemy, he calls it. In the Jewish culture, blasphemy was, under their law, something that would justify the death penalty. But at that time, they were under Roman rule, and they could not execute anyone without the authority of Rome being included. But they had to get the verdict from their side that they could take to the Roman government and then seek the Roman government's help in executing the verdict. So he says, the high priest says to those that were there, what do you think? And they said, he's worthy of death. But they didn't stop there. They abused their power even further. They spit in his face and they struck him with their fist and others slapped him and mocked him and said, prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you? This is not the way the Sanhedrin was instructed to conduct themselves as a court of law. This is not the way any person who was accused was supposed to be treated under the law. And so we see the height of injustice among Caiaphas, the Sanhedrin, in that courtyard that night. Well, there's a second person I want us to really focus on today, and that is Pilate. Pilate was the Roman governor of that area of the world. And so I want us to focus on what took place at the palace of Pilate. We'll pick up in Matthew verse 20, chapter 27, verse 11. He says this. Now they have moved Jesus from the courtyard over to the palace. It says, meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Now, Jesus gives the same answer that he had given to Caiaphas. You have said so. Jesus is not only saying, yes, it is as you have said. He's saying, you're saying the truth right now, Pilate. That is who I am. Now, I'm sure that's not what Pilate meant, but Jesus is putting it back on him. When he was accused, it says, by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, the, to the great amazement of the governor. Now, it was the governor's custom by the festival, uh, at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priest and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you, the governor asked. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah, Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting. He took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I'm innocent of this man's blood, he said. It's your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us and our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. 
Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium, gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. They knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe, put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. Pilate was faced with a difficult decision. And it was difficult for several reasons. I want us to focus on, first of all, Pilate's dilemma here. When he was brought, when Jesus was brought to him, he is the governor there. Jesus has said, it's true, I am the king of the Jews. But Pilate had a job to do. And Pilate's main job was to keep the region peaceful and in line with Rome. To keep the Jews peaceful as the Roman government ruled over them. Pilate had a lot of pressure on him because of something from his past. He had messed up royally earlier on as governor. When he took the office of governor, one of the things he did was he marched into Jerusalem with images of the emperor Caesar. And he carried them not only to the temple mount, but even into the temple. And the Jews were highly offended and a riot broke out. And Rome had to bring in troops and calm down the riot. And Caesar was already upset with Pilate for having stirred things up like that before. And now Pilate knows my job is on the line here. How can I work through this in a way that saves my own skin? That even makes me look good, perhaps, and how well I have managed this situation with the Jews without any more riots breaking out, without any more things that would make me look bad as a governor of the region. Isn't it true that sometimes we make decisions based solely on how it's going to make us look? What response we think we're going to get from people if we make this decision or that decision? Even when we know what's right and the decision we're thinking about is wrong, sometimes that desire to look good or to protect ourselves and our own image could cause us to make a decision even with the knowledge that it's not the right thing to do. That's where Pilate is. Let's look at the deliberation that Pilate went through because he didn't make a snap judgment here. Remember, it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. Pilate's trying to think through, how can I keep from executing an innocent man while at the same time appease these Jews who are obviously hungry to execute a criminal? He thought of the worst criminal that he had in custody right now. His name was Barabbas. We know some more about Barabbas from the other Gospels, that he was a hardened criminal. He had committed capital crimes. He was certainly someone worthy of, under their law, the death penalty. And so he thinks, surely, with the knowledge they have of Barabbas and the crimes that he's done, surely if I give them this choice between Barabbas and Jesus, who he didn't see anything worthy of capital punishment in, Surely between those two, they're going to pick Barabbas. He's trying to save his own skin, make himself look good, and still not execute an innocent man. He's, he's trying to work it out in some way. And he gets to that place where he offers Barabbas or Jesus, and they choose Barabbas to be released. 
Now, remember, too, that in the middle of all of this, as he's sitting on the judgment seat, his wife had had a dream. And in that dream, she was greatly troubled that, that Jesus was an innocent man and that, and that Pilate didn't need to do anything against him. So she sent word to her husband, please don't make a choice here. That, that's something that's going to be wrong. Don't, don't do anything with that innocent man. Don't be attached to this. But overriding everything was he wanted to protect himself before Rome, before Caesar. And as they chanted, crucify him, crucify him, Pilate came to the decision that he came to. He saw he was getting nowhere, but he said I, to himself, I, I still want to make sure I, I look innocent in all of this. So he took a bowl of water, and before the crowd, he washed his hands. And he said to the crowd, I'm innocent of this man's blood. <laughs> He's trying to convince himself. Caesar, his wife, everybody there, listen, I'm innocent of whatever you guys choose to do. Like it's not even his choice, it's theirs. He wants to separate himself from this terrible deed. But he still wanted to appease them, so he went a step further. He's going to turn them, Jesus over to them, but he had Jesus flogged first. And when you just read he had him flogged, it's hard to picture exactly what that means but oftentimes people did not even survive the flogging there would be such loss of blood such wounding to the body and the organs internal organs of the body that people oftentimes did not even survive it and Jesus is beaten almost to the point of death and then he's released over to the soldiers who were going to take him for the crucifixion and once he was beaten and released they didn't just stop the mockery there or the abuse there they took him again and mocked him and spit on him and dressed him up like he was a, a king and ridiculed him and, and beat him and then put his own clothes back on him, bloodied as they were, and they led him away to crucify him. Jesus, Jesus was someone that Pilate did not know well, but Pilate knew enough about this case even with the evidence that he had, that he didn't have the evidence that he should have had for capital punishment in this case. But he also did not have the courage. Even though he had the information, he refused the risk of doing the right thing. It's almost like he thought like a lot of people think about Jesus today. Refusing to decide would be a non-decision. But here's what we need to understand. We have the evidence that Jesus is the Messiah. If you're honest and you look at it, you examine it, there's lots of evidence to point to him as the Messiah, the Savior, who went to that cross for the sins of the world. But there are those who simply say, I, I don't know, I, think, I don't know what to do with Jesus. I, it's not that I don't believe, but, I, but it's also not that I believe. And we try to stay neutral. But the problem is Jesus takes away the option of being neutral when it comes to who he is. He demands that a decision be made. Let's look at it again in Matthew 26, beginning with verse 63. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus said, you have said so. In other words, yes, I am. I am who you say right there that I am. Jesus did not leave it where we could be neutral. We have to decide. Is Jesus the Messiah? 
And if he is, that changes everything. And if he's not, that changes everything. But you can't stay neutral when it comes to who Jesus is. You have to decide for yourself. And later, remember, in front of Pilate, Matthew 27, 11, Jesus stood before the governor. He asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said it again. You've said so. Yes, that's who I am. Even before this, Jesus has said, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. Uh, before the beginning was, I am. He's given us all of those statements that rule out neutrality completely. It brings us to this place, friends, where if we want to have the hope that Jesus brings... We have to make the decision. We have to decide if Jesus is the Messiah. Then we can know without question. It is in him and him alone that we have the hope of the forgiveness of sins, a life eternal. Because he is the only one that is qualified and worthy to pay the price for us that he paid on the cross. He's the only one to follow through sin and death because he's the only one who conquered it by raising from the dead. If Jesus is who he says he is, you have to make a decision because he is the only one who brings hope to you, to me, and to the world. If you're listening today and you need to make a decision about what you're going to do with Jesus in your life and you just need someone to talk to, you need someone to to pray with you about this and to help you walk through that process, please contact us and let us know. We would love to follow up with you and help you through that process. And now as we come to a time where we're going to close our time of being connected together online, we're going to share a time of communion together because we believe we have made the decision that Jesus is the Messiah. And he's asked us to remember him through this communion memorial meal together. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we have the evidence that you've given. You've made sure that we can know with confidence in faith that we can trust Jesus to be the Messiah, the Savior of the world. You've made it clear in your word that he is the one who gives us the hope that we're looking for, not just in these hard times we're in right now, but for all times. He is the one who is life, who can give life life abundant, life to the full. I pray, Father, that we would seek after him and him alone as our source of hope. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.